So March Madness is over now, and I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you did well on your bracket, uh, but I cannot leave March Madness behind without uh, telling a little story about a basketball game that was not a college basketball game. It was just a kind of a community game, but it's one of my all-time favorite basketball stories. So years ago, a guy by the name of Darwin Parks played in an accounting firm basketball league in Charlotte, North Carolina. He played for Pete Marwick and Company years ago against Young and Company, an accounting firm. Now, Marwick only had five players, and the last guy showed up 22 seconds before the game was to begin. It was a very close game, and with two minutes left in the game, Marwick and Company player coach Bob Vergus fouled out. So now they're down to four players. Darwin Parks is playing with a bruised knee. He hits a 12-foot jumper with 12 seconds left to tie the score, and the game goes into overtime. Well, Tim Smith of Marwick and Company uh, fouls out only 40 seconds into overtime. Now they have three players left. Jeff Hill fouls out 30 seconds later. Now they have two players left. The game is tied, but it's two on five. And somehow Darwin Parks and Steve Shorkey forge a 63 to 59 lead. They're up by four. With one minute and 12 seconds left in overtime, Shorkey fouls out, leaving Darwin Parks to play one on five. The other team misses a free throw. Darwin Park gets the rebound, dribbles down, hits a jumper. Now he's got a six-point lead. The bench goes crazy. Not even Michael Jordan could do this, or LeBron James could do this. So Young and company breaks an intensive one-man press and scores easily. Now Darwin Parks has a problem. How in the world do you inbound the ball to yourself? He throws it off of a player's knee, grabs the loose ball, drives for a score, gets fouled, hits both free throws. Then Arthur Young and company comes, quickly answers. Darwin Parks then heaves the ball down court. Young and company retrieves the ball but misses the shot. Darwin Parks rebounds and is fouled. He hits one free throw. Arthur and Young score one more time, but time runs out as Darwin Parks holds on to the ball. And Pete Marwick and company, or should I say, Darwin Parks, win the game 68 to 65. Now that is a guy who didn't quit. I mean, when it got crazy, he just stuck with it and saw it through to the very end. I love that story. And guys, today I want to talk to you about uh, thriving when life is crazy. Thriving when life is crazy. All right? So... Darwin Parks overcame seemingly unsurmountable odds. He didn't just finish the game, he actually won the game. He managed to thrive in a crazy situation. Well, today we want to learn how we can thrive in the crazy times we're living in. And let's face it, we are living in crazy times. Uh, for you, it might just not just be what happened in the last 12 months on a global stage or national level. It may be something deeply personal. Uh, maybe it's a health crisis. Maybe it's a family situation you're facing. Maybe there's a chaos in a relationship. Maybe there's some work craziness going on. And maybe you're working through some tough personal things or emotional issues. Uh, maybe your finances are crazy. Uh, maybe you've been hearing crazy talk or you're going stir crazy. 
or you just want to win at crazy eights. I don't know, but life's crazy. Let's dive in together and learn, let's learn about thriving in crazy times. All right, so the back, background to this, we're going to go back to the book of Acts, chapter 9. And if you were here with us last weekend on Easter weekend, uh, we read the historical account in the book of Acts, a record of the early church in the Bible, of uh, this historical account of, of Saul, who was a persecutor of the church. He was taking letters from the high priest. He was moving from Jerusalem and, and taking a, a road to Damascus. Uh, where he would arrive in Damascus and his plan was to find the Christians there, arrest them, bring them back to Jerusalem, try them and hopefully execute them. That was his plan. Didn't quite work out that way for old Saul because Saul gets a visit on the Damascus road. A light dawns on him, a bright light. Everyone falls to the ground of his whole entourage. And uh, Saul hears a, a voice and in this light he sees the risen Jesus Christ. And the voice says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul says, who are you, Lord? He says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And in a moment, Saul realizes that everything he's believed about Jesus, he doesn't believe he's the Messiah. Well, it's true. He doesn't believe that Christianity and that this new faith is real, and it is real. Well, he had sinned at Damascus. He's led by this entourage. He's told to go and just wait there. He waits three days. And a stranger, a random guy who is a follower of Jesus named Ananias comes in, prays for him to receive his, his sight again because he's been blind for three days. Saul receives his sight. Immediately, Ananias baptizes him. And immediately, Saul goes into the synagogues and announces to all the people there gathered, expecting him to denounce this uh, Jesus and the followers of the way of Jesus. And instead, he announces Jesus is the Son of God. And everybody's astounded. And Saul is on a roll now. And we pick it up there in, in Acts chapter 9, beginning at uh, verse 22. We're going to get there in just a minute. But he's proclaiming this message. And today, on Easter, we learn the causes of his conversion and transformation. Today, we're going to learn the consequences, what happened after that. And remember what God told Ananias about this Saul, who was a persecutor that Ananias was so afraid of, he told him in Acts 9, 15, and 16, this man is my chosen instrument to take my name to the Gentiles, kings, and Israelites, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So we're going to look what it means today, not only for Saul, but for all of us to be God's chosen instruments. Saul had a major mission, and we all have a part of that mission too. And then what it means to be a part of that chosen, uh, to be a chosen instrument, but also how we're going to suffer for his name. Paul says later to follow in his footsteps. We're going to follow in his footsteps today. We're going to look at what it means, and we're going to find it's going to be a crazy ride. We're going to find it's going to be a roller coaster of opportunities and adversities, and emotions, and it's going to require one trait in particular to thrive in crazy times. And that particular trait is called resilience. To thrive in crazy times, you and I must build a resilient faith. Resilience. What is resilience? I looked it up. Here's a definition of resilience. An ability to recover from or adjust easily to misfortune or change. Crazy times. Here's another definition 
a modern definition of resilience, advancing despite adversity. Advancing despite adversity. It means to have goal orientation, work towards your vision. That's advancing the mission of God. Despite, we get proactive. We don't wait for adversity. We know it's going to happen, so we're ready ahead of time. And it's adversity, both large and small everyday challenges. So you're ready to embark upon this? I'm sure you can identify with some things you're living with today that are crazy times and crazy challenges. All right, so... It won't just be the human trait of resilience, however. It's going to be a God-given, resilient faith. It's going to take the spiritual trait of trusting in God and building through him resilience. All right, first principle I want to give to you. How do you build a resilient faith? Well, you do it by growing stronger in the Word of God. You grow stronger in the Word of God. Let's unpack this in verse 22. But Saul grew stronger, not just physically, this new believer in Jesus, not just physically growing stronger, recovering from his three days of not eating, but spiritually he grows stronger, and he kept confounding the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. So he grew stronger. Spiritually, he began to build this relationship with Jesus. And he proclaimed that Jesus is the Messiah. He had a theological foundation. Saul now began, guys, to, he knew the Old Testament. He had memorized large parts of it. And he began to have his eyes open to all the prophecies of Jesus, to how the story of God all fit together and how it all led him to the reality of discovering that Jesus really is the Messiah. And so he began theologically, biblically, scripturally to put this foundation together. In other words, he grew stronger in his faith through the word. And this drove him to the conclusion that Jesus is the Messiah. And guys, believe it or not, that is exactly what you and I need in crazy times. Saul is going to have crazy times. He's had them already. People think he, he, the people that were his former allies now think he's a lunatic. And they start persecuting him. But guys, we're going to face crazy times in our own faith. And what Saul started with was that own spiritual foundation of growing stronger in his personal relationship with Jesus. But it was all through the word. He was driven through the word to build a a resilient faith with Jesus as the Messiah, as his foundation. So, So, and then it says, interestingly, in the next verse, after many days had passed... Um, And we're going to go and read the rest of the verse in a minute. But when the scripture says here, after many days, when the Bible says many days, it means many days. Because if you compare it with some of Saul's letters and what we know from other uh, historical records, that many days was actually somewhere between two to three years. So a long time had passed. And this is kind of a, uh, a colloquial way of saying Long time had passed. It was up to two to three years. After many days had passed. And we know a little bit about what happened. Saul, during that time, he tells us in other places in the scriptures that he went to Arabia, which is not Saudi Arabia like we might think. It's actually more in Jordan, possibly Iraq, uh, and in that area near Damascus, just a little bit south and just a little bit east of Damascus. And he hung out in places like this, like uh, in Jordan. And he spends time in the wilderness, in the Sinai wilderness. This would have been in a similar area to where Moses and the people of God had stayed before they entered into the promised land. It would have been a place where Elijah, the prophet, and so now surrounded by this wilderness, he had time to, for two to three years, to just study 
the scriptures. He also no doubt got records of the things that Jesus had taught. And he began to just immerse himself in the teachings of Jesus that he had dismissed earlier. So he gets strong in the word of God. Saul saturated his life in the scripture. And he did this. He, he had a little beginning there where he was teaching, but he had time of preparation now. And there was going to be a two to three year period where he just saturated his life in the scriptures. So that gave him an incredible foundation for all the crazy life he was going to live for the rest of his life. And the truth is of this, we are going to face crazy times in our lives and you and I are not going to make it in this crazy world without a foundation in the scriptures. One scripture I think that Saul, Paul might have come across was in, in the book of Proverbs. And I just want to read it to you and, and show how it teaches us to have this foundation in the word of God. It says, uh, my son, if you accept my words, the word means to welcome God's words into your heart. Here's what we need to do to build the foundation. Welcome God's words, saturate your life with scripture and store up my commands within you. Get to know the commands of God. Get to know the teachings of Scripture. Really know them by heart, deep within you. Turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding. In other words, you're not just casually reading this. You're asking God, speak to me, God, in your word. Show me the way. I really, really, really want to learn. Indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding. Read it in your Bible, Proverbs 2, 3. Call out for insight. You're saying, God, show me. I really want to know. And cry aloud for understanding. And if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasures. Think back to your American history when there was a gold rush in California in 1849. The 49ers went out there looking for gold. And there was a big rush out there because they were excited to find gold in them their hills the treasure they were after. And God says, that's the kind of attitude and passion. If you're going to live through crazy times, you have to have about the word of God. You got to immerse yourself in it. And, and then he says, then if you do that, you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Look what he says. If you really get serious about growing stronger in the word, look at all the advantages that Solomon tells us in Proverbs 2. He says, for the Lord gives wisdom and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He holds success in store for the upright. He is a shield to those whose walk is blameless. He guards the course of the just. There's a protection that God brings to your life in the crazy times. He protects the ways of his faithful ones. Then you will understand what is right and just and fair every good path. When the culture is telling you every which way to go, you'll know the right way to go. You'll know what's every good path, what's right and fair and just. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will protect you and understanding will guard you. Guys, in the crazy days that we have in our country and as the foundations of our uh, culture are shaken when you build your house on the word of God and put it into practice, Jesus promises the storms comes and your house will not fall. You will stand firm. It's important for us to take in the word of God, the teachings of the scriptures, the teachings of Jesus, and build our lives upon them. And guys, can I just very honestly say to you, make sure that your diet in your life, intellectually, spiritually, 
is not mostly social media. It's not mostly uh, stuff you read on the internet. It's not mostly even, you know, uh, other people you're talking to. It's mostly saturated in the word of God and good uh, believers who are pouring into you the word of God and good Christian books that are really leading you to know God's word. And you get God's word in all sorts of ways. Let me give you five quick ways. You get the word of God into your heart by hearing it, just like you're doing right now, by reading it on your own. That's great. Uh, by studying it, by taking it in, uh, in your own life and learning more deeply about it. Maybe you do that in your life groups. That'd be great. You're discussing it. Um, then by memorizing it, there may be certain scriptures that you take to heart and you say, this one's so important in my life. I need to learn that. I've been doing that. And then finally, by meditating on it. And that's not some weird mystical practice. It means you take it to heart and then you turn it over in your mind and heart and say, how does this scripture apply to my life? Let's keep going. Okay, so the first and maybe most important way to, to thrive in crazy times is to grow stronger in the word of God. Let's go on to principle number two. That's to gain confidence in God's providence. Okay, grow, gain confidence in God's providence. What is providence? What do I mean when I say that? Well, divine providence, somebody has written, is the governance of God by which he, with wisdom and love, cares for and directs all things that happen in the universe and in my life and yours. The doctrine of divine providence believes that God is in complete control of things, all things. He is sovereign over the universe as a whole, the physical world, the affairs of nations, human destiny, human successes and failures, and the protection of his beloved people. This teaching stands in direct opposition to the idea that the universe is govern, governed by chance or by fate. In one phrase, what is providence? It is the teaching that God is in control and he's protecting and looking out for his people. So here's, we look, go on. So Saul's out, but now after many days had passed, in the, in the wilderness, he comes back to Damascus. And it says, he comes back to Damascus, he begins to teach some. The Jews conspired to kill him. But Saul, providentially, in God's sovereignty, was allowed to learn of their plot. So they were watching the gates day and night, intending to kill him. So there's a plot against his life, but see, God's in control. And he allows Saul to learn about this through this whatever circumstance. But his disciples took him by night and lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the wall. So here is the scene. He, he, Saul returns to Damascus after two to three years in Arabia. He's back on Straight Street. And you can go there still today. There's, a, there's an ancient Roman arch that is still today. It was there when Paul was there. And there's this conspiracy to kill him. And not only the Jewish leaders, but there's also a leader from Arabia we learn in another place. And Paul tells us this, and he, he has this humiliating escape. He has to be actually, he came there, like, he came as this guy that came to Damascus in the first place to kind of, he's a big man in town, right? Big man on campus. And he's there to arrest Christians and take them uh, to jail. And he's going to re-enter Jerusalem triumphantly against the persecutors, uh, against the, the, the persecuted church. Um, but instead, he has to leave kind of in a humiliating way. They have to sneak him out of town as a fugitive from the, the authorities who want to kill him. 
and he gets put in a big fish basket. And they have these uh, in, in Damascus, even today, there's still walls there. And, uh, and this is uh, historically the tradition as that this is the place where Saul was lowered in this upper place uh, in a basket through an opening in the wall where people lived. Uh, some people lived in, in those on the wall and they lowered him down to the road and he, he, he escaped when they could not see him at night. So it was a rather humiliating way to go out. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, now you're sneaking out and now you're a criminal almost and they're after you. Um, but what you see here is that God is providentially in control. Sometimes he uses miracles, but more often he just lets circumstances come together that are there for you according to his divine plan. And in this circumstance, he allowed Paul to, to know about the plot and then to have an escape that his friends provided for him, all right? So do you have confidence in God's providence? Do you believe that God is in control of what happens to you? You know, I have my plan, and, and then here's a little chart. This is your plans. I have this plan of kind of maybe a little bit of an uphill, but I've crossed the finish line. It's pretty much straight and easy. And then there's God's plans for me and for you. And that is with all these hills and valleys and uh, difficulties and challenges and obstacles and, and, and some ups and downs. And, and it's crazy life. This is a crazy life. And some, for some reason, God has constructed life so that we might become more and more like his son, Jesus. And that's providence. He constructs everything that happens in our life, the good, the bad, the ugly, the misfortunes, the sufferings, everything happens. And although we don't always know the purpose, God has a purpose. And as one who's walked through a lot of you know, crises in the last 12 months, and maybe you have too, um, I know God's in control. So let me ask you this. My situation may seem out of control, but do you believe that God is in control? Do you have confidence in God's providence? Honestly, I want you to look back at the last 12 months and ask yourself, what's your attitude been? Have you really looked to circumstances, to yourself to kind of keep everything? You want to be responsible. But do you, behind all of that, believe that God is truly in control of your life? Jesus says, don't worry. Don't worry about your life. Look at the lilies of the field. Look at the birds of the air. I take care of them. And you're worth a whole lot more than those flowers or those birds. Oh, you have a little faith. Don't you believe that I'll take care of you? He says, you seek first the kingdom and the righteousness of God. And all these things will be taken care of. They'll be added to you. All right? So that's the, that's the second principle. To, to really thrive during crazy times, to build resilience. We got to gain confidence that God is in control, gain confidence in God's providence. Do you believe that? Third principle, we need to find encouragement during the hard times. Um, Paul suffered so much. How much did Paul suffer? Well, he suffered a whole lot. After all that he's already gone through this escape and on the run, uh, plot to kill him, it says, when he arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him since they did not believe he was a disciple. So put yourself in Saul's place. He's been a disciple for three years. He's been telling people boldly the name of Jesus in Damascus. But you know what? The people, the disciples in Jerusalem, they're not ready to believe it just yet. And can you blame them really? I mean, Saul had overseen the 
martyrdom of Stephen, their friend. It hadn't been that long, three years. And he had taken a lot of followers of Jesus and put them in prison. And some of them were still there. So they're not so easily convinced that this guy is legit. They think, well, maybe this is just his clever ruse to, to get us all in trouble. Or maybe he's a spy. So they were very, very skeptical. But can you imagine how disappointing this was to Saul, who had really, in a lot of ways in Damascus, put his life on the line. And he had been teaching boldly in the synagogues and in, in, in the city of Damascus that Jesus is the Messiah. He'd done a spiritual 180, but nobody believes him in Jerusalem. How discouraging that would have been, how, how disappointing that would have been. And you know what? God, in our lowest points, he knows exactly what we need. And if we're open to it, if we pray for this, God can send people into our lives that can be those encouragers. And God sent a man named Barnabas to Saul. Barnabas, however, it says, took him and brought him to the apostles and explained to them how Saul had seen the Lord on the road and that the Lord had talked to him and how in Damascus he had spoken boldly in the name of Jesus. And so he really sticks up for Saul. He says, this guy's legit. He's the real deal. Believe him. And he persuaded them. Now, at first, they're probably like, who is this upstart? One day he's persecuting us. Now he's preaching in the synagogues. Is he like emotionally un unstable? Is this guy some kind of lunatic? He's, he's hot and he's cold. You know, he, where is he? Um, but eventually they were won over. And I'm telling you, Barnabas was there for them. Saul, I don't know if he was prepared for that kind of opposition. He expected it from, you know, his former allies, but now his enemies, his former enemies are also questioning him. Everybody needs a Barnabas in their life, in their low times, in their hard times. And a lot of believers nowadays are very surprised when trials come their way, but they're going to come. Don't be surprised. But what we need in those times is a Barnabas. That's why one of the reasons we have life groups and one reason we have uh, groups like that, because in our hard, tough times, our life group is there for us. I'm going to tell you guys, I'm in a life group and our life group has helped Ruth and me through all the health struggles that Ruth has gone through. The challenges of the last 12 months of nationally in a pandemic and, and all the difficult decisions we've had to make. And our group, in our group, we've had people with incredible work crises, financial problems, family issues, difficulties with kids or grandkids or whatever it might be. And we've been there to support each other because everybody needs a Barnabas. Pray, God, if you don't have that Barnabas, pray, God, please bring me a Barnabas and look for ways where you might find one. And then also pray, help me to be a Barnabas to somebody that might be in need. Uh, one of our pastors, Linton Lundeen, has said every day he prays that God will send him a Barnabas to encourage him. And he says, Lord, help me to be a Barnabas to somebody who's in need. And I love that. That's a great prayer. Um, okay, so that's the third thing you're going to need to thrive in crazy times, finding that encouragement in people like Barnabas to help you during the hard times. Um, principle number four. We're going to need to develop wisdom in authentic community. If you're going to thrive, you're going to have to gain some wisdom. And you do that in the community of believers. Not fakes, not churchy people, but real deal followers of Jesus. Look what it says in verse 28. Saul, now he's, he's able to return to Jerusalem after escaping Damascus. It says, Saul was coming and going with them. 
That's with the apostles, with some of the leaders, with some of the believers in Jerusalem. He's hanging out with them. He's experiencing a real movement of the Holy Spirit firsthand. Can you imagine the early church? And he got to hang with them, this relatively new disciple of Jesus and what he's learning and the wisdom he's gaining and, and the, the things he's seeing. And it says he's speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. This emboldened him hanging out and the wisdom he gained. This helps him to speak boldly in the name of the Lord. He conversed and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. Wow, again, he's got more plots after his life. And when the brothers found out, and I love that, the brothers found out. In other words, he's got brothers who are looking out for him. That's authentic community. People that will look out for you, even when you're not looking out for yourself. Saul may have been oblivious to these threats. He may have not even cared, but they said, no, 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 Saul, we gotta care for you. He says, when they found out, they took him down to Caesarea, which is about 70 miles from Jerusalem to the Mediterranean Sea, and they put him on a boat, and it says here they sent him off to Tarsus, which was hundreds of miles to the north, and he was, they were sending him back home. They said, Saul, it's just too hot for you to be in Jerusalem. And they didn't mean the weather. They said, the circumstances, you're radioactive right now, and people are just gonna, one of these days, somebody's gonna meet you in a dark alley and do you in, and we're looking out for you. So why don't you head to Tarsus for a while? And he only lasted three weeks in Jerusalem. And then he had to leave. And he will spend approximately five to 10 years in Tarsus. And this was hard because he wanted to be out there. But God says, patience, patience, patience in the crazy times. Wisdom, wisdom, wisdom. God was still teaching and he was still active, but he was more just, he wasn't gonna go all over the world just yet. He was eventually gonna do that on his missionary journeys, but he's got things to teach him. And so he learns wisdom in Tarsus. Later in his life, he decided to return to Jerusalem and everybody was freaking out. And they're saying, are you going back there? And he says, he said, in every town, the Holy Spirit warns me that chains and afflictions are waiting for me. So he wasn't afraid. He knew he was ready for the crazy times. Nobody ever said it was gonna be easy. I want you to ponder the roller coaster ride that Saul had been on in these years that we just looked at. He's got, he's, he's uh, putting people in prison and watching over execution of Christians. But then he met Jesus Christ on the Damascus road. He goes blind for three days, then it's restored his sight. He has a total redirection of his life. He comes to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. He's baptized by Ananias. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. Then all of his old friends hate him and turn on him. They have a conspiracy to kill him. He has to escape Damascus as a fugitive. Uh, through being lowered in a basket in the dead of night. He runs to Jerusalem. He spends three weeks there. Then they're out to kill him. He has to catch a boat back to hometown. More attempts on his life. And it, on and on it goes, guys. And this is going to be the story of his life. This roller coaster of ups and downs, opportunities and adversities. Guys, but his brothers and sisters were there to help him. His brothers and sisters were there to show him the way. So guys, we need authentic community. And what I want to encourage you is wherever you are, deepen your roots in the church. Wherever you have opportunity, find places to find fellowship 
where you can really connect with brothers and sisters in Christ. And that may be in a life group. That may be for some of you when you're ready and you're, it's safe and, and you feel confident. You return to, uh, to worship in person where you can, uh, where you can experience community in, in a deeper way because it's great. I'm so glad we have this technology. But as John said, the Apostle John, he had a technology in his day. It was called pen and ink. At the end of his letter of 3 John, he wrote, I have many things to write to you, but I don't want to write to you with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon and we'll talk face to face. So when the time's right, uh, I I just invite you, uh, when you feel comfortable, to rejoin us um, if you're not already Um, in this face-to-face time in worship together. There's nothing like community, face-to-face community, and and seek that out in life groups, seek that in other places. And that's what Saul had, and that's what you're going to need, and I'm going to need in the crazy times we live in. And then the last principle is we we can experience some renewal in God's church. Uh, And so then it summarizes, after Saul left Jerusalem, now the persecutor, the former persecutor, has left He's been converted and he's left town. And look what it says. So the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, this whole big area, had peace. Things kind of settled down. And God knows our limits of how much we can handle and the turmoil, how much we can handle. And then eventually, he gives us peace, tranquility. He he calls us to pray for authorities so that we can have peace and live our lives in tranquility and was strengthened. What does that mean? They grew strong in community. They loved each other. They grew strong in the word. They built themselves up in the faith. They grew strong in sharing their faith. They grew strong in every way. Living in the fear of the Lord, what does that mean? They took God seriously. They they knew God was awesome and mighty, and they weren't flippant about their faith. They were serious about God and about their faith. And that's the way they were. It wasn't just talking about it. They were living it and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. There's a work that God does in our hearts that's supernatural, that the Holy Spirit himself comes and speaks to you. And he brings comfort and encouragement and power and encouragement. When you're at your lowest point, when life is crazy, there's something supernatural and you can't explain it, but the Holy Spirit himself encourages you. Maybe that's something you need to pray for. Holy Spirit, encourage me today. The church had that renewal. Maybe you've just been through the toughest of times. You need that renewal. And then finally it says, and uh, it increased in numbers. And when there's health and there's a healthy church and there's renewal by God's Spirit and in the Word and relationship with Jesus, the church grows. And I'm so grateful for Valley Church during this last 12 months. Believe it or not, Valley Church has grown in numbers. The church is larger today than it was 12 months ago in spite of everything we've gone through. And it's just a sign of God's blessing on our church. Keep praying for that and keep experiencing renewal through the church of Jesus Christ. I conclude with this. Um, there's a great leader and his name's John Perkins. He's 91 years old and he's coming to our Good for All conference. And I want to tell you just a couple of things as we close because when I think of resilience, I think of John Perkins. I can't wait for him to get here in October. Um, According to Philip Yancey in his book called Soul Survivor, John Perkins lived through the worst nightmares of the civil rights movement in the the 50s and 60s. 
John Perkins started a church and then a a Bible institute, a radio program, a health clinic, a co-op, a vocational training center, a recreational center for youth, a tutoring, after-school programs, housing programs, getting voters registered, uh, speaking out against uh, brutality and violence. uh, And when he went to that point, when he began to speak against some of the injustices that were happening, in Mississippi. He was accosted by over a dozen white police officers and beaten so severely that doctors had to remove two thirds of his stomach and it took him 48 months to recover. He almost died. He took four years. He was beaten so badly. Here's what John Perkins said about that. This is resilience. That time was without a doubt my deepest crisis of faith. It was a time for me to decide if I really did believe what I had so often professed, that only in the love of Christ, not in the power of violence, is there any hope for me or for the world. I began to see how hate could destroy me. And in the end, I had to, to agree with Dr. Martin Luther King that God wanted us to return good for evil. He went back to the scriptures. Love your enemy, Jesus said, and I determined to do it. It's a profound and mysterious truth. Jesus' concept of love overpowering hate. I may not see it in my lifetime, he wrote, but I know it's true. Because on that bed, full of bruises and stitches, God made it true to me. The Holy Spirit encouraged John Perkins, and I got a transfusion of hope. I couldn't give up. We were just getting underway. Can we pray together? Father in heaven, I thank you for these inspiring words of a man with great resilience, John Perkins. But as we also reflect on this in the life of Saul, a man who had so many ups and downs. May may we take the example of how he lived and build a resilient faith and put it into practice in our own lives. And I pray, O God, ultimately, that all these things will drive many people to, to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you died for our sins and that you rose again. We hold onto that with all our hope and with all our might. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. God bless you guys.